Exodus chapter 25 verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Now this is the seventh day. This is after Moses had been resting for six days, waiting on the Lord, with Joshua by his side. Now on the seventh day the Lord speaks. 2. Speak unto the children of Israel, that they take for me an offering. Of every man whose heart maketh him willing, ye shall take my offering. So he's saying, you're going to tell them to make donations, and this is what I want their donations to be. And he's got a really good reason for listing these specific items. 3. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass. 4. And blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair. Gold, silver, and brass would be out of what they looted from the Egyptians when they left Egypt. The blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, those are all colored cloths. Red cloth, purple cloth, and blue cloth. He also wants goat's hair. And I think that this is not goat's skin, it's goat's hair. The hair has been cut off of the goat. And then they're going to weave it. They're going to do, they have some sort of process where they can weave it and turn it into a cloth. 5. And ram skins dyed red and seal skins in acacia wood. So of the rams and the seals, they do use skin. But of the goat, they don't use the skin, just the hair. And acacia wood. 6. Oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. These are all the items that God requires for the tabernacle. Later on, it's going to be a temple when King Solomon builds it. He'll build a temple made of cedar wood, and he'll cover it inside and outside with gold. But now, as they're traveling in the desert, they have this massive tent, and so they're calling the tent a tabernacle, because it can't really be called a temple since it's a tent. All of these items are for the making of the tent or items that are going to be inside the tent. They're spices, anointing oil, and incense. I don't use incense ever because today it's basically a new age witchcraft ritual. And so I avoid incense at all costs. But the incense that we're going to learn about here in the Old Testament was a specific formula. It had to be the same formula every time, and it specifically represents God. And the perfume that he tells them to make is a specific formula that he gives them. He gives them a recipe for perfume and incense, and he says, you only make it for me. Now, God does allow them to wear perfume, but they can't wear his perfume. It's only for him. Modern incense is disgusting smelling, and it's demonic. That's why it doesn't even smell good. 7. Onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. Onyx stones, which I think are black, and a variety of colored stones. And these are real precious jewels. 8. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. When you go into a church and they say, oh, this is the sanctuary, that's representative of God being with us when we go to church. But the sanctuary that God has Moses make is very specific. The sanctuary in a typical church is basically the stage where the pastor preaches and where the worship team plays music and sings songs. But the sanctuary that we're going to read about is actually a place where God dwelt. 9. According to all that I show thee, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furniture thereof, even so shall ye make it. God is saying, you're going to follow my instructions to the T. 10. And ye shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. The Jewish cubit is approximately 18 inches. The Egyptian cubit is a little bit longer, and that's because Egyptians were kind of big. They were bigger people than the Hebrews. And later on, we're going to learn about the Hebrews fighting some Egyptians who were basically giants. 
I'm not sure if Moses is using the Egyptian cubit or the Hebrew cubit because he's both, but it's at least 18 inches. So 18 inches times two and a half, 3.75 feet. That's the length. So it's almost four feet long, but in height and width, it's just over two feet high and and just over two feet wide if we go by the Hebrew cubit. It's not that big of a box. It's just not huge. 11. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Later on with Solomon's temple, they still have this ark. This is the Ark of the Covenant. The ark was overlaid with gold inside and out, but Solomon also overlaid the temple that it was in with gold inside and out, which is pretty awesome. Now it says, make a crown of gold round about it. This isn't a circular crown because it's not a circular object. It's shaped like a rectangle. There is a crown type shape all around the edge of it. And that prevents any bird from landing on it. And later on, God will tell them when they do make the temple, he will say, don't allow the birds to fly over the temple. And what he's literally means is you need to make spikes on all the edges of the roof so that they won't land. And because they can't land, they're not going to fly over it either. God did not want bird poop on his temple or on the Ark of the Covenant. That's why they have the spikes all around. And that's the crown that this is talking about. 12. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four feet thereof, and two rings shall be on the one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. Now these rings are going to have a pole going through the rings, so that the ark can be carried by grabbing the poles, and you don't ever touch the ark. When it's time to lift the ark and carry it, there's two men in the front and two men in the back, and each of them grab the end of the pole in front and back to lift it. 13. And thou shalt make staves of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. 14. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings on the sides of the ark, wherewith to bear the ark. So these are the poles. 15. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. 16. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And that's the two tablets of stone. Now we know how big the tablets of stone were, because the dimensions of the ark tells us they had to be able to be placed in the ark. So now we know the tablets of stone were big, but not over two feet by four feet. 17. And thou shalt make an ark cover of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. This is the lid that's on top of the ark. And this lid, I believe, is also called the mercy seat. 18. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them at the two ends of the ark cover. Beaten means that you take a hammer and beat it into shape. They're going to take gold and they're going to hammer it into the shape of cherubs. A cherub is a type of angel. Not all angels are cherubs, but there are cherubs at the throne of God. Today they perverted it so that a cherub is a naked baby that does the bow and arrow on Valentine's Day. A cherub is not a baby. It attends the throne of God specifically. They're going to make images of two cherubs, one at each end of the ark. 19. And make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. Of one piece with the ark cover shall ye make the cherubim of the two ends thereof. The cherubims are actually part of the ark covering, and this is part of the mercy seat. He's going to call it a mercy seat later. So it's basically where God is going to sit. 
20, And the cherubim shall spread out their wings on high, screening the ark cover with their wings, with their faces one to another. Toward the ark shall the faces of the cherubim be. 21. And thou shalt put the ark cover above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Inside the ark is the tablets with the law, the Ten Commandments. Above that is the covering, which is the mercy seat, which also has these two cherubim as part of it, so they're attached to the mercy seat. Both of the cherubim have their wings stretched out to cover the ark, so their wings are stretched out toward each other. One cherubim's on one side, one is on the other, and their faces are, but we'll see here in a minute, that he wants them to be facing down toward the mercy seat, so that even though their faces are opposite each other, they're not looking at each other, they're looking down at the mercy seat where God is. 22. And there I will meet with thee, and I will speak with thee from above the ark cover, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. This is a small space for God to be in, but God can do anything he wants. I don't understand it. It's a mystery. Maybe it's just the voice of God in there, but he is dwelling there in some shape or form, but it's a very small place. Now, remember when he was in the burning bush, that was a small place too. God has the ability to be in small places and to be so big that we can't even see him, that he's outside the world. He also has the ability to come to earth in the form of a man. Men aren't very big when you consider all that God made, yet God himself came on earth in the form of a man. 23, And thou shalt make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half of the height thereof. 24, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereunto a crown of gold round about. 25, And thou shalt make unto it a border of a handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. So it has two crowns. It has one which isn't as big. It was a little smaller. It wasn't two and a half cubits. It was it was two cubits long. Then the handbreadth that he's talking about is going to make the other half cubit in length because the hand breadth will be on both ends. A hand breadth is a measurement. When you open your hand and you stretch your fingers out, from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky is a hand breadth. That's approximately six to eight inches, depending on how big your hand is. That is going to be going all around. And then from that point, there will be another crown. There's two layers of spikes on top of this thing going around it, the edges. 26. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. 27. Close by the border shall the rings be four spaces for the staves to bear the table. 28. And thou shalt make the staves of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. This is now describing the table of the presence, which is where they're going to put the showbread and a couple of other items. This is the table that if you're approaching the sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant is, the table will be on your right. That's what God is describing now, how to make that table. It's also overlaid with gold, and it has a similar design as the Ark of the Covenant. 30. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me alway, meaning always. And it's going to be 12 loaves, one loaf for each of the tribes. 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. They're going to take gold, and then they're going to use a hammer to hammer out its design and its shape. Even its base and its shaft, its cups, its knops, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. This is a magnificent piece of work. They're not going to take different parts and solder them together. This all has to be one part. Pretty awesome. And the knops and the flowers are the decorations, you know. 
that are in the candlestick. 32, and there shall be six branches going out of the sides thereof, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side thereof, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side thereof. 33, three cups made like almond blossoms in one branch, and a knop in a flower, and three cups made like almond blossoms in the other branch, a knop in a flower. So for the six branches going out of the candlestick, you can see images of this if you Google it. You could Google tabernacle candlestick, and then you would probably see what it looks like. Images that people have recreated of what it would have looked like. So it'd be solid gold, and it would have three branches on the right, three branches on the left, a candlestick. And then there's that center piece because the middle of the candlestick holds the branches. So there's actually seven 34, and in the candlestick, four cups made like almond blossoms, the knops thereof and the flowers thereof. The four cups is a decoration that's in between the six branches. 35, and a knop under two branches of one piece with it, and a knop under two branches of one piece with it. The four cups connect the branches and they get knops. In between two branches is a knop that connects them. It's a beautiful design. And a knop under the two branches of one piece with it for the six branches going out of the candlestick. The three on one side need two of these decorations in between them, and the three on the other side need two decorations in between them because there's only going to be two spaces in between three branches. That explains why it's four. 36. Their knops and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it one beaten work of pure gold. So the entire thing is still one work of gold. They can't make the four centerpieces and then solder them in. Can you imagine the skill and the time that was required for them to make this thing? They had to have a super highly skilled person. And we're actually going to see later that God picks highly skilled men and he puts his own spirit in them because they need even more help than he's already blessed them with. So he's actually going to put his Holy Spirit in them so that they'll know how to do this work. 37, and thou shalt make the lamps thereof seven, and they shall light the lamps thereof to give light over against it. This center thing is the seventh piece. So it's a candle with seven lights. 38, and the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. With a candlestick, you need tongs and you need snuff dishes. The snuff dish snuffs out the light when you want to turn it out. And I'm not sure what the tongs are for, but it's another tool that you need with a candlestick. 39. Of a talent of pure gold shall it be made with all these vessels. Wow. This candlestick is 56.9 pounds, so that's about 57 pounds. That's how much this candlestick is going to weigh. Of a talent of pure gold shall it be made with all these vessels. 40. And see that thou make them after their pattern, which is being shown thee in the mount. So he says, I'm going to give you the pattern. You don't make up your own design. You're going to do it my design. Why is God so specific? Because he's holy. He's He's pure. This is also a representation of his throne room in heaven. And that's why it has to be absolutely perfect. Now, it won't be exactly like his throne room in heaven. For one thing, he's not going to charge them to make the floor solid sapphire. So you know it's nothing close to the glory of heaven. But it is representative of the glory of heaven. And that concludes Exodus chapter 25.